0: You're listening to the She Lift Project Podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now, here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project Podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, and today I'm Well, everybody's going to be blessed with having bernie (laughs) frazier with us just wait you're going to see her energy like i did at our first coffee and seeing you speak and own the room at the uh, pwa women's organization here in st louis what struck me about you is your career in corporate but how you've pivoted to coaching people still working in corporate a little bit, helping with Mm -hmm. recruiting and things, but your process along the way. Plus, you have the book there, so we'll talk about that for sure. Um, Again, author of Your Successes in You, which I love, empowering and equipping you to create your best career ever. Who doesn't want that? and to be their best version. You're a speaker, so people out there looking for speakers. She's great, just listen. Career Mm -hmm. coach strategist, talent acquisition expert, and your mission is to help people overcome barriers to create greater success. Which again, who doesn't want that and who doesn't probably need some help getting there? 25 years in corporate leading recruiting organizations. You're a keynote speaker. Uh, You've coached clients from C-suite execs to individual contributors. So everybody out there, she can help. You've been on The Career Coach on KSDK, a local St. Louis uh, TV station, NBC affiliate. So you've shared tips on job search tips on SiriusXM, KTRS, all these different places in the New York Times and profiled in the St. Louis Business Journal. I'm tired <laughs> but so much success and I was joking we were joking ahead of time we were talking about different things that we've already talked about and I asked my husband I'm like are you rolling yet because you were already <laughs> sharing so many good things so thank you for coming today and for sharing your wisdom with everybody oh thank you for having me I was looking forward to this
1: and I always you know I enjoyed our first conversation and when you asked me to be on the podcast it was like absolutely I would love to do this so did I thank miss
0: you. anything and no, I don't think you did.
1: And I was listening, thinking, wow, I've done a few things. <laughs> you know, you get in such do mode, and sometimes you forget to stop and look back. So, so thank you for kind of reading that. It was a nice little reminder of a few things. It's a good little
0: retrospective, right, yeah, to go back yeah. and say, hmm, I do know a few things. I have succeeded in a few right. areas. I've done
1: a couple of things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so today, what you're doing currently mm-hmm. is... Well, and maybe tell me more about, well, first of all, what all are you doing? What are all the different hats that Bernie has on right now?
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, and I feel like there's so many because I do career coaching. um, I do speaking. Um, I even do a little bit of training. I'm even still dabbling some in recruiting. Uh, I have a, a contract work that I'm doing with a company here. Uh, shout out to Alliance. And um, they, I told them, I said, I don't want to do a lot of recruiting. You know, I did that for decades, not even years. But they've somehow kind of roped me back into doing a little bit of recruiting. And I said, you know, it's actually been fun because it's been a good refresher for me in terms of information that I can use to help clients and information that I can use to help even in my speaking. So, you know, just kind of doing a number of things, a little HR consulting, if you will, as well. So it's all still somewhat, I guess, kind of in that HR space. I don't think I can get away from human resources, certainly the human part. Well, as people uh, are
0: going to see as we talk, you're good at that. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, What is, so there's lots of Coaches out there. There's life coaches. There's fitness coaches. There's, you name it. There's mm-hmm. a coach. What is a career coach? Great question. Um, I think a career
1: coach is someone who can help you navigate your career. Um, I think that's that's a big part of why my company is called Career Compass. It's to help you navigate it. Whether it is, you know, you have reached a certain point in your career where you've achieved some things. But now you're just kind of like, you know, I'm I'm kind of, I always say at that halfway point, there's something about 40 psychologically that we see it as halfway in career, halfway in life, whether it is or not. And what I find people start to reflect, okay, I've done these things. Do I want to do this going forward? And sometimes it's yes. I find a lot of times it's I'm not sure or no. But then the question is, so what do I do? And as a career coach, I help people kind of figure that out, Uh, you know, what will be the next, maybe not even the next half, but how do you want to spend the next five years, five to 10 years? Um, So it's everything from that to helping people with a job search, you know, whether unfortunately they've been uh, laid off. Or if they've just come to a reality that what they want is no longer in their organization and it's time to move on. But maybe they haven't looked for a job in 15 years and they're a little rusty. And so I can help them, you know, knock the rust off and help them with the different components of a job search and everything in between there. You know, some of it I have had clients that things are going well in their company, but they want to continue to grow. They just aren't sure what's needed. And so I help them, you know, I've had everything from almost like a career PR campaign, if that makes sense, to just helping them strategize moves within their organization, people they need to know, assignments they need to work to uh, pursue and achieve and and everything in between so they can continue to bloom where they're planted.
0: So, oh there's so many questions i could go into them. I'm like where do we start first so if i came to you and i said okay bernie i'm not sure in my career this is right or what i want to do how would that process start
1: well one of the things that i do actually a couple of things that i do uh usually with that process i i take the person inside And so I think a lot of times people may think, oh, I've got to do all this external research, and that's a part of it, but that's not where you begin. You have to start with you. And I have, you know, a list of questions um, that I give people to ask. And some of them are simple questions like, what do you like? (laughs) You know, it it sounds simple, but it's important to figure that out. Um, You know, what don't you like? What are you good at? What do other people say you're good at? And I think that's an important question that people overlook because as we were talking before we began, we have these, I I believe, natural gifts, natural talents and things that we do, well, they come easily to us. And when they do, we think everybody can do it. Well, anybody (laughs) can do this. No, no, they can't. Not everyone can organize like you. Not everyone likes organizing things like you. And people miss that this is a gift that maybe they should be doing something with. And so there's, again, a series of questions that I will uh, have them answer and start to look at those answers. And I make them write it down. You know, we have all these things in our head and it's competing with the grocery list and my feet hurt and did I call my mother (laughs) back and all these other things. And so I get them to look and see, do you see any trends and patterns? Because what I find in most cases and most, I mean, literally over 80 percent, Usually, the thing that they should be doing or exploring further is somewhere in their past, high school, college, early 20s, and we ignore those signs. So, I take them back, I have them do a little self-reflection, slow down, and be, instead of do, you know, don't just do, just take some time and think about this, don't just write down quick answers, Uh, And so it really kind of starts there and it begins to unfold from that point.
0: You mentioned, you know, a lot of it's there early on in life, Mm -hmm. which by accident, I think I've figured out some of that myself. That seems so wise, but also how'd you figure that out? Like, oh, go back to your teens, go back to your. Yeah, well, you know what? I have used myself as a
1: guinea pig a lot in my own exploration. Um, I had an incident in I think it was my late 20s that started me to asking questions about myself and looking back and reflecting. And when I did, I first saw it in fifth grade. And I, I can think over the years different points in my life where it showed up and it was like how did I not see this? And as I started talking with other people, and as I kind of evolved into the coaching, as I started asking people these questions that I asked asked myself, I started seeing the same thing. And I said, there's got to be something here. This is a human condition. <laughs> um, and it just it evolved
0: from there. So the, I got to stop. This sounds amazing and profound. So first of all, You said an event in your late 20s Mm -hmm. that caused you to start asking questions. What was that, if you don't mind sharing? Oh,
1: sure. I knew you were going to. (laughs) I actually wrote this in my book, too. (laughs) So I was working for a company here locally, um, and I had gone to one of these facilitated meetings, there were probably 70 people there, and they had us at these round tables, and each table had a flip chart. You know, we've all been at those meetings, right? So, every every seat had a name uh, placard, and when I found mine and I looked at all the other names, I remember thinking, how did I get at this table? Because I was an individual contributor at a table with the top executives, and this was a multi-billion dollar company. And I'm sitting here, and at first, you know, there was this this, uh, wave of intimidation. You know, I'm 20-something. I'm an individual contributor. I'm with the senior vice presidents of this. And then I went, I want to be at that table. That's where the fun people are. You know, why not, right? And I went, okay, just sit here. So, we're sitting here. We're going through the different uh, uh, aspects of the day. And we come to this one where we had to scribe the information on the flip chart. So, um, of course, they looked at me. <laughs> why? Do, why? Why? Right. I'm the peon of the group. <laughs> okay, fine. So, I, I wrote everything down and then they had to, I th- wait a minute, no, I take that back. Some, I think someone else was the scribe, but someone had to read it out. And they all looked at me to read out what we wrote. And I'm like you guys are the executives why am I doing this and okay fine and so when it was my tables turn I got up I walked through our points I sat back down no big deal so once every table went around we took a break and as I was headed out the room like everyone else this lady was making this beeline for me and it was so deliberate I mean I could just tell you know and it kind of caught me off guard a little bit And she came up. I didn't know who she was. And she said, excuse me, she said, "Um, the way you presented that, no, she said, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah. She said, were you ever in Toastmasters? I said, no, why? She said, the way you presented that information, she said, that is exactly how they teach us to do it in Toastmasters. She was like, great job. And then she just walked away. And for whatever reason, I'm standing there and I kept thinking, what was that? What was that about? (laughs) Now, you know, for maybe the average person, they may have just been like, oh, thank you, and kept going. But for whatever reason, that was a moment that I guess it needed to hit me. And I don't remember anything else about that meeting. And for probably the next three days, I kept playing that over. What does that mean? What did that mean? Did that mean something? And that really kind of started me down a path of trying to figure out if that meant something, and if it did, what. And it was just that my journey of asking questions and paying attention to things and looking at things and analyzing things that I started to figure out, oh, I think there's something here. So how does that get back to fifth grade Bernie? So what I realized was my gift was in my mouth. (laughs) My voice Uh, and, and speaking, you know, they say that nine out of, or what is it, public speaking is one of the top five fears of adults, and I love it, and I'm thinking, how strange is that? You know, I love something that most people are terrified to do, and so as I, again, started looking back, all of a sudden, I started seeing different times in my life, and in fifth grade, I was uh, in a large school district here in St. Louis, and our school board was having a meeting, and I'm not sure to this day that was <coughs> years ago, uh, how I got selected, <laughs> but I was selected to lead the Pledge of Allegiance at one of their big meetings. And I'm thinking, why me? How did I what? And I still have the picture of me up there in my geranimals, for those of you old enough to know what geranimals are, um, leading them in the Pledge of Allegiance. And that was a moment that stuck out, why me? How did I get picked to use my voice? And I had an instance uh, when I was in college. I've had them in work assignments just over and over in my community where I was asked to use my voice. I didn't volunteer. Oh, Bernie, we got to have you speak. You got to say something. It was like, why? And again, it was those moments were there all throughout my life, but I
0: didn't see it because I'm like, well, anybody can do that. And not that was, realizing that that wasn't necessarily the case. Maybe one of those more innate traits, or do you think it's something you were taught or learned along the way? Honestly, I think
1: most of it was innate. Uh, I had a coach that gave me a couple of good tips A few years ago, but most of it, and I don't say this like bragging, but I think there are just some innate things about speaking that I understand. Like when I'm up on stage, when to lower my voice and just pause when I want a point to sink in. And the, uh, making a certain facial expression or moving through an audience if I'm, if I'm doing something like that. And even this coach who is a phenomenal speaker, uh, when she and I were working on a project, and I was going to be videotaped, and I was a little nervous. She said, do you want to come over this weekend? And I can just kind of watch you, observe you, if you know, if there's some little points maybe I can help with. She said, "You know, it would never be anything major the day before, but maybe just some little tidbits. And I went, absolutely. So I went over to her house, and it was going to be a 20-minute talk, and I walked through it. This was almost 10 years ago. And when I finished, she looked at me. She said, get out of my house. <laughs> Like what? I'm looking like what? Help me, you know, because she is such a, an amazing speaker. She said, "You don't need my help." As we talked about it, and because I use humor a lot, I'm silly. And she was like, "She said you can do something I can't do." She said, "I have to think of examples, and I when I'm practicing, I have to rehearse that moment of humor in mind." I said, "Oh no, I never do that. It just comes, and I just." kind of in the moment, or I'll have an idea if I'm going to give this example, but in the moment, something will go, Mm-mm, use this one instead. And I say, I don't know how to explain that to people. It's just a
0: hunch, I guess. And I try to go with it. So is there a time where you brought somebody that you've coached through that process? and they've had an aha moment of oh my gosh it was third grade me it was high school me it's been there all along like is there a a coaching relationship that sticks out in your mind the one i just finished
1: i'm literally our session ended last week and um she was trying to figure it out you know she had had this her education and her career for 25 plus years was down this one path and she's like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I just, I don't want to do it. And I said, okay, so we, and she even told me, she said, you know, I was wondering about some of these exercises, like where are we going with this? And I said, I know, I said, but sometimes you just have to trust the process. And one of the things that came out for her, because one of the first exercises, I had her answer all these questions. And it was written all through there. And I I said, send it to me a couple days ahead of time so I have a chance to review it. And it was just jumping off the pages. And I said, you're a leader. And she went, yeah, I know. (laughs) I said, why have you been running from it? She was like, how did you know I've been running from it? I said, because it's not showing up on your resume. I said, I bet you you've been asked to be a leader multiple times. She said more times than I can count. I said, you know why? I said, because they see it. I said, you have a hunch for it. There's an instinct that comes through you that people can see you're a good leader. You may be at that same level, I said, but they end up following you, don't they? She was like, how did you know that? I said, do you know how many times I've seen this? Over and over and over and we talked about early in her career how she started saying it. She was like, I always, nope, nope, mm-mm, not me. And they were like, we want you to be the leader of the department. Nope, not doing it. And so then we got into why not? And, you know, just talking through all of that. And some of it was things from childhood. Her why not? I said, now I'm not a counselor, so I can't counsel you on that. I said, but let's let's look at this. And by the time we finish again last week, now she's looking at opportunities and she's embracing it. I said, why not? I said, you have to realize there's a difference between what we do and who we are. I said, leadership mm-hmm. is who you are. I said, you. I said, it's going to go everywhere you go. If she said, even in my church. I'm always asked to lead things." I said, yeah. I said, because that's who you are. It's going to come out through your your voice, through your words, through your actions, through your body language. I said, it's in your pores. I said, you can't get rid of that.
0: Isn't it funny? I feel it's funny and interesting how we're all born or maybe we're coached to, we should be leaders. To rise up the ranks, you need to be a leader. And here you have somebody who's and not everybody's suited for that no their personality at the core they're not suited Mm -hmm. for it or they haven't been given trained the coaching the skill sets to get there and here you have somebody who's really good at it who's running from it yet we often have people who are put in those positions who aren't good at it (laughs) and keep staying (laughs) and the company keeps them there like and they chase good people away (laughs) right right And, and that the the leadership is in those skills and that maybe that innate energy mm-hmm. of being able to be a good leader, how important that is, and we need to cultivate it's that. That's critical. The fish rots a fish rots from the head.
1: Hmm. That's what I heard once. And so if the head is rotten, what's going to happen to the body? Wow. So goes the head, so goes the body. And when companies are putting people in leadership because they are good at doing the work, that's a totally different skill set. And I try to help people understand that. And uh, in, in the talk that I do that's related to the book, and I talk about that. I said, you know, doing the work and leading people doing the work, it's two different skill sets. And I don't care how much you've mastered that role. That doesn't mean that you can be an effective leader in mastering that role. And I think that, you know, when I look back on, oh, gosh, I have had – Worked in and worked with corporate for over thirty-five years now. I bet you I have probably met less than ten really gifted leaders. Wow! Who just from my experience with them? Now there, I'm sure there were more, but just in my experience with them, less than ten. Who I went, wow, this person is that really is a good leader. They just have that sixth sense for leadership and for people and even how to correct people, how to inspire people, how to challenge people, how to pull back and when to push. And I said, that's an instinct. It's, and sometimes it can be harder to teach.
0: And a good leader can make or break oh. a career or a life, right, because that oh my gosh. emotional impact that they have, maybe not the first day, week, month, but over time.
1: Oh, absolutely. I heard someone say once that a good leader can cause their people to run through fire with gasoline underwear on for them. <laughs> but that's true. And I, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth.
0: And think about, you know, any leader in your capacities, right? That one teacher who inspired you to Mm -hmm. just all of a sudden bloom and blossom or that one coach um, that really inspired you to go beyond where you thought you could have. And leaders, um, whether it's in, you know, volunteering, work, church, you name it, wherever it might be. Oh, yeah. I have a keynote that I do around a
1: leader that I had over 30 years ago. So that think about that
0: sticks out to you. What is it about sticks that out. leader? That w- w- tell me about that person and that part of your life. Yeah. So it was in the
1: early part of my career. Um, I was actually in sales with a consumer package goods company, big consumer package goods company. And this was—he uh, was my boss's boss. I worked in his organization for eighteen months. Um, the first six months, you know, kind of getting things realigned. And that 12-month period that I worked in his organization, uh, we kicked butt. And when I say we kicked butt, now this is, again, a sales organization. Um, we were charged to do uh, 8% of the total U.S. profit for our division, and this year we did 16. Not sales, profit that's, a, you know, a trickier mix to get right. Um, they had started these new business development units in every district across the country. And I was on the team of four. We were the only unit that they deemed successful in the entire country. Um, our numbers were so off the chart that other districts were flying their salespeople in to work with us to figure out what we were doing. And so years later, especially when I uh, became a people manager for the first time, I started finding myself thinking back to what did Steve do? What was Steve do? How would Steve handle this? And after doing that so many times, you start to ask, why Steve? Why do I always resort back to him? And when I really kind of mentally went through that 18-month period and what it was, there were four things he did that caused us to push to achieve the results that we did, and interestingly enough, those four things spelled love. Hmm. Now, and you know, people, I'm like, it's not this mushy-gushy talk, but it was just <laughs> ironic that those four things he did, it spelled love. But he was, he he showed that he cared, and you felt a genuineness about it. Um, he pushed. You know, he was clear with what he expected, he was clear, you know, there was no confusion of at the end of the day, these are the four things that you need to be focused on. Um, and I just, you know, like I said, I always think back to that and just that time and it was so interesting, the company had started a sales uh, uh, program, sales awards program. And everybody knew he was going to win the Chairman's Club Award. We figured if he didn't, it was rigged. And what I thought was so amazing was he did win the award, but he didn't even win it on the business results. He won it on his people leadership. And, and he probably went, could have
0: won it on both because
1: of his oh, people easily. leadership. Yeah. And I've often thought so many leaders don't understand this. Even to this day, I'm like, I don't care how many memes I see on LinkedIn, these leaders are not getting it. If you take care of your people, they will take care of your business.
0: Why do you think that's so hard to get? And don't I'm not forgetting the four things. We're going to go back to those four things that you're going (laughs) to list. But why do you think that's so hard to get?
1: You know, I I think it's probably a combination of things. Uh, I think it could be the way some people were taught leadership is supposed to be. Uh, I think some of it is ego. I think some of it is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just, I don't know. You know, I think for every person, it may be, for every bad leader, <laughs> there may be a combination of things if you could peel it back, you know, it, it, doesn't everything go back to childhood, they say. So probably some things in childhood and work, um, but I, I think it's just. You know, sometimes I think people feel like they have power, and some in some people's hands, power is dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what is it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, and I just, it's, it's a lot of things. And unfortunately, I've seen bad leaders chase good workers, good employees away, and the companies will hang on to that bad leader. And I'm going, I do not understand that.
0: And that's usually how it would go, right? The good people eventually are going to see and leave. Mm-hmm. The ones who are just getting by, or maybe aren't, mm-hmm. but are still there because their headcount stay. Yeah. And so eventually, that common, common denominator just lowers and lowers and lowers. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: You know, it's they always do those surveys on why people leave. You know, and boss is always like in the top two. My last corporate job I left because of a boss.
0: What what was it that made you leave? You know, in,
1: in, in 25 years at that time, you've worked for all kinds of people. You know, people you like. They may not be the brightest bulb in the pack, but you like them. You know, they're basically good people. You work for people that you respect, but you don't necessarily trust them. You respect them because you know they're good, but they haven't garnered your trust. Uh, and this was the first time I had ever worked for someone that I didn't like, trust, or respect. And I said, that's too much. I will not do it. And I left. You had no legs on that stool. They were all gone. <laughs> they were all gone. They were all gone. And the person had a reputation coming in, but I went, you know what, You've I had been in a situation like that before where the person coming in was not very well uh, liked, at least from the feedback that I had gotten from some people, ended up being one of my all-time favorite bosses. And for whatever reason, he and I just clicked and I actually ended up kind of mentoring and coaching him on leading us, which was just the weirdest dynamic, but it worked and he was open to it. Uh, And so when this leader came in, I went, you know, just be open. And within four months, I went, no, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. I I I, I said, I have worked enough years. That I'm at a point that I will not work for someone that I don't like, trust, and respect, or respect. So, I
0: uh, I left. Can't miss out on the those the love, those four things <laughs> the love that spell out love.
1: Yeah, what were those? Four so things? the L is listen. Um, a lot of leaders. I don't know if they aren't capable of listening, which I don't, I don't think that's the case. But I think they feel the pressure to have all the answers. Yes, And so they don't listen to the boots on the ground. Well, he did the opposite. And again, I'm in sales, field sales. So every few months or so, he would come out and work with you for a day. And I was so thankful that I had gotten some insight from one of the salespeople who had worked in his organization previously who said, listen, he's going to ask you a lot of questions. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, he was like, no, a lot of questions. And I'm thinking, okay. Ooh. So, he said, know your territory, know your numbers. And I mean, for almost eight hours, that man peppered me with questions. You know, by then, I'm like, kill me, just just kill me. (laughs) Let's just get this over with. But he was like, so where are we going next? Okay, so tell me about this buyer. Okay, so what are they like? What's been your biggest success here? What are you still working? So what do you think we should be doing to help make this area more successful? And he he didn't come out to give me all the answers. He was like, you're the one out here. You know this area, not me. And what I discovered after the fact, what it did, it made me know my business. And I didn't realize, because I had studied and prepped so much. Oh, I knew things backwards and forwards. And I
0: went, he elevated my game. Well, like we spoke, I don't know if we said it here or before the podcast, but even sometimes prepping and reading all the success that you had, it takes that moment to pause mm-hmm. and really think about where you probably just go, 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 take for granted, take for granted. But man, that, that pause to then really accelerate further than you would have yeah, had you not done absolutely, that. absolutely,
1: absolutely. But I realize it, it forced me to know my business. It forced me to really know my job. And I said, I don't think leaders understand that. If you go in asking a lot of questions, it will help you identify who knows the job and who doesn't. Versus when you're giving them all the answers, what is left for them to do? So he listened, but he listened through asking a lot of questions. Um, the O, I, I did a play on this one, is overtly praise. Um He never took credit for anything. It was always us that did it. Um, When we had our district meetings, there was time carved out to celebrate accomplishments for people. Every meeting. You know, when he came out to work with you, it was always, thank you for the work you're doing. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, thanks for all the work. It was, I appreciate you and what you're doing. Well, you know, that's that positive reinforcement. So what do you do when you're getting praise for doing a good job? You do even more of a good job. And that was what was so interesting when these people from other districts came out to work with us because they're really, I don't know if they walked away with anything. We just executed the hell out of our instructions.
0: Why? Because we wanted that attaboy and that attagirl. Well, I'm sure the love, listen part made you feel like you were really an important part the driver of the team yeah and so it wasn't just well we're up here you're down there now go do your job it was i'm a pivotal integral part of making this work well and so yep. and I know that because yeah he's telling us that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So but I mean he he did not withhold praise and it, it didn't feel like oh Cynthia showed up for work today let's have a party I mean no it, it really it was genuine. It wasn't a participation ribbon or there trophy. Or <laughs> exactly. Everybody gets oh, an A. little Johnny tried. We <laughs> Everybody tried you know. Um, But it was that overtly praise. The the V was he verbalized expectations. Like I mentioned a a few minutes ago, we were very clear on the assignment. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about the areas that we were supposed to focus on. Distribution, pricing, shelving, you know, and marketing, advertising, I guess. But those were the four. Anything beyond that didn't matter, and every when he came out to work with you, guess what he asked about those four things. When your uh, manager, your immediate manager, came out to work with you, guess what your manager asked about those four things. Why? Because that's what he was asking them about, and so you knew what the assignment was. And I think that was it. We didn't veer from the assignment. We executed and executed and executed and executed and executed and executed. And we just did it over, <clears throat> excuse me, over and over and over and over again and it drove our numbers through the roof. That clarity is it was, huge. We were clear. I have coached so many clients that one of their frustrations is, I don't know what I'm supposed to be focused on. they like, so I just do what I want. I'm
0: like, well, that's a hot mess. Which at first might seem cool, where I'm going to do what I want when I want. But after a while, it's exhausting.
1: It's exhausting. It's frustrating. It can can be overwhelming. And it can be fearful. Mm -hmm. Because, boy, I don't know. I'm just doing stuff. I don't know if that's being regarded as good stuff. And if it's not regarded as good stuff, that means that could negatively impact my performance, my review, my raise, my job. And so, I've had, again, I've just had client after client where they've been frustrated, they're like, I don't know, one week they have us doing this, the next week they've got us running over here, they don't even know what they, they want us to do. So how are we supposed to know? So we just, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. <laughs>
0: kind of like the wild, <gasps> wild west yeah. of just, you know, chaos yeah. and how tiring. Is that start, stop, this direction, that direction, where do I go now? At some point, everybody just, I give up. I give
1: up because I'm wasting time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But we were clear and it never changed. It never changed. Um, The E is empower. He didn't micromanage. And he would tell us, he said, what do you need from me to do what you need to do? How can I help you? And so you knew you had to be thinking about that because you could not answer him. with, I don't know. He's like, you're out here all the time. How do you not know? And he was like, listen, you know what the needs are out here. You tell me what you need. And I remember one thing he said. He said, Bernie, my job is to fight to get you the resources you need to do your job. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. And I've over the years thought, how many bosses almost do the opposite? They're trying to constrict the resources you need to effectively do your job. And I'm like, and you wonder why you're not getting the results you need.
0: And that goes back to, you said earlier, don't have all the answers as a leader. A leader shouldn't have all the answers. So if you're out there asking them, what do you need to be successful? That's letting them share, letting them be a part of the team and the success and their success and you're listening and you're caring and ask questions and don't have all the answers.
1: It empowered me in my business because I had to think about that. What do I need? What do I need to take this to the next level? I'm the one out here. I'm the one that knows it. And I think about Voltaire, the French philosopher. He said, Judge a man by his questions, not his answers. And I said, well, Steve was one heck of a man because that, he was like, what do you need? He was like, this is, your, this is your territory. This is your business. You tell me how it needs to be run. And again, that forces you to think about what you're doing. It forces you to think about the quality of the work that you're doing. Am I making smart decisions even in my little area? And he, uh, he empowered us to own it. And to run it how we saw fit. Now, that meant we were going to have to answer to it too. But again, because of that, it forced you to think about what you were doing and not just, eh, I just got to sell some stuff.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I got to punch in and yeah, punch out punch and in, I did punch my time. out. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people who are punching in, punching out nowadays. They're doing just enough. I always say they're, they're doing just enough to stay off of a pip. A performance mm-hmm. improvement plan. And that's it. And I'm thinking, wow, no wonder so many businesses aren't competitive anymore. No wonder they're not innovative anymore. It's not
0: that the employees don't have ideas, it's just you're not listening.
1: Well, you're not asking the right questions.
0: You're driving the good people out. You can't have 100% turnover. No. So those people who are avoiding mm-hmm. the pip or yeah. whatever it might be, they can stay because you need. People in the seats. Oh, yeah. I often
1: wonder with people what has happened between the enthusiasm you had on day one and the mindset that you have when we do the exit interview. What happened? How did people go from here to here? Because most people, when they're on day one, they're excited. They want to come in and have impact and make things happen and do good work and, and by the time they're leaving, yeah, whatever. Not everyone, of course, but too many. And I often think, what happened? You know, it's like that dash, it's a, they attribute that to Mark Twain, you know, it, it's not the dates, the beginning and the end. it's the dash in the middle that counts. And I'm always wondering, what happens in the dash of that, your career? What happened there that broke your, your enthusiasm, that caused you to disengage, that caused you to withhold ideas and solutions to problems?
0: What a great question. And I think from the approach of, I think about times that I've left and some places didn't even want to do an exit interview because they thought they knew what happened and what the answer and the issue was They
1: don't ask the questions
0: but had they come in and really were curious with their questioning they may learn something and be able to elevate everyone Mm -hmm. there even if let's even if it was a bad boss Mm -hmm. okay well do you think that boss wants to be bad like how do we learn to elevate everyone or find the right spaces so that curiosity and asking questions
1: It's so important, it's so important. You know, until probably the last 10 to 15 years, I didn't hear much about companies doing leadership development. You'd hear a little bit here and there, but I'm thinking, as important as that role is of leader, how can you not make sure that they at least have the fundamentals of good leadership? Now, I think a lot of companies, they're they're getting it now and they're starting to do things, uh, which is good, but I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done because, you know, really gifted leaders, there probably aren't nearly as many as we need. Mm. So, you're going to have to work with those who aren't necessarily gifted, but maybe are open to learning to become a better leader, to help equip them and strengthen them in their leadership ability so that they can at least be more effective, if not fully effective, in the work that they do.
0: I think I've seen some places where it's like, well, we've got this leadership group up at the top that, you know, they're not far from retirement. Let's just forget them. Let's try to fix this next group of leaders, which
1: which is crazy
0: right which then you get the person (laughs) squeezed in the middle saying but i know what we should be doing in here and they're not and we're just yeah Yeah. we have to be willing to have those actually this may be a good pivot have those difficult conversations um communication you know figure out how to do it but it must be done again for with the idea of improvement and betterment Mm -hmm. and we're all better oh yeah Together. Absolutely. I think so. Because
1: I, I read, I wish I could find this article. This was probably two or three years ago. Uh, this gentleman wrote this article that said top leadership should turn over um, when a, a top leader hits 45. Hmm. And I was thinking, whoa, okay, I need to read this. And it's a bit controversial, but I got his point. He was saying, because, you know, by the time we're, let's say, 45, We've been conditioned to approach things in a certain way for over twenty years, and the world is forever changing and evolving. You know, that's why we don't see blockbuster anymore. <laughs> that's why we don't see Sears anymore, Kmart. I mean it it's over and over. It's like, are you all not reading the tea leaves here? You have to change or. You won't be in existence. And I think a lot of times, sometimes we need that with leaders, they're like, well, you know, they've been there, Mm -hmm. they've got 40 years of experience, yeah, they have 40 years of in a lot of ways doing the same kind of things over and over and over. And then they get clipped at the knees by some 19-year-old who says, hey, what if we get people to use their own homes as hotels? Well, that's the dumbest idea in the world. Who's saying that now. What if people use their own vehicles to drive people around? No one's going to want strangers in their homes and in their cars really
0: Who's asking those questions the what if or why not how yeah. could
1: we what's needed What's the different? How do we need to do this differently and better?
0: Yeah, great questions I mean. gosh, there's so much good stuff that we talked about before coming into this. But the coaching that you're doing, Mm -hmm. you started this business yourself on your own over 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, Oh, my gosh, I can't believe
1: it'll be 13 (laughs) years coming up on 13. The interesting thing is I've done coaching for 26 years, but I didn't do it officially hanging my shingle out. Uh, until 2011.
0: What drove you to that? What what made you say this is it? This is the time. I it's my calling. I need to do this. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was working a full time job
1: uh, when I started my business, and it was evenings. You know, some weekends, but I was trying to really contain it to evenings because I said this could really spiral. But you'd have some weekends when you know I would do it as well. And remember, I mentioned the boss. Then I left, um, I, I, the, the bug had really bitten me and I knew at some point that I would leave corporate to pursue it full time, but my plan was not at that moment. <laughs> 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 and it was a um, final meeting with that boss where I said, I guess now is the time. And honestly, it was one of those I I tell everyone I prayed before I went in this meeting. I believe in prayer. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a mouth. I might say the wrong thing, but I don't want to because I I always believe, you know, respect the office, if not the person. Mm -hmm. And I went, she's still my boss at the end of the day. So I have to demonstrate at least that degree of respect. And by the end of that meeting, I had quit my job. I was like, okay, I guess this was the plan. And so that was really kind of the final catalyst. But I had been been moving in that direction uh, anyway. But yeah, I'd been doing coaching uh, since 97.
0: So, And you had mentioned that you identified, so coaching for all those years, being incorporated mm-hmm. for all those years, there were two specific instances where you identified your gifts yeah. to, I would assume, then help build this coaching company. What were those two instances?
1: Well, the one was the one I mentioned in that meeting. That was, that was probably the single biggest catalyst that at least started me to paying attention to try to figure out, did it mean something? And if so, what did it mm-hmm. mean? So, uh, I'll really kind of stick with that one. Um, After that meeting, I really did. I started paying attention. And that's what I find most people don't do. Why? Because we're busy. I got to go. I got things to do, places to go, people to see. And I I always say we don't slow down enough to read the tea leaves. They're usually there. We just don't see them because we've gone 150 miles per hour past them. And so, I started... um, The company that I was working for at the time, I was on the task force to create uh, a new employee or new associate orientation. And it went from like an hour or two of signing your life away, then you go back to work to really a two-day program. And once we finished with it, it was like, Bernie, you've got to be one of the facilitators. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I did. Um, They started. One of the executives started a mentoring program there, and he tapped me. He said, "I I need you to be one of the facilitators." And I'm a recruiting leader. And I'm thinking, okay. So I did it. And then other companies that I worked for, um, even my my last uh, corporate employer, they started this. Uh, It was a diversity leadership program. It was a one-day program. Uh, And this is going to sound very weird being a black female, but I'm not a big proponent of those, which that's a different conversation. But this program, the way they presented it, I really liked it. It had some different components and twists to it. And it was really focused on leadership. Well, this is for people who were at the director level and above all the way up to the CEO and I got tapped. I think I was the only non-trainer as a facilitator for the program, and we we co-facilitated. And every class I taught, when we got the evaluation sheets back, my scores were always higher. And it was just like, by that point, it was like, here it is again. So, just once I started paying attention, I could see it over and over and over and over and over again, just those confirmations that they're speaking whether it's training, facilitation type things they were like you're you were more of a natural with that. you have an ease with that that a lot of people don't have and Like I said, I really think it was probably that one instance that was really kind of my jump off point of exploring and trying to figure out what it could be and how I could use it.
0: Is that why we mentioned when you were starting your business is to help professionals overcome the struggles that you faced, Mm -hmm. especially as a black person and a woman? Mm -hmm. And all the lessons you learned in your career. I mean, what stands out to you from that? As far as I need to start this business for this, because of
1: a lot of it was, you know, um, I don't know if I ever had a mentor, and I don't think it was for lack of trying. Um, I think, you know, going into meetings, I'll I'll never forget the first company I worked for. You know, I was in sales. And my territory was more Southern Illinois. Um, and my my unit, we were having a meeting once with one of the other units. I think they were kind of more the Indiana-ish area. And we were meeting in Vandalia, Illinois. So, you know, these are salespeople, so everybody's lively. So, you know, there were no <laughs> shy ones in the group, uh, which made it a lot of fun at times. But I remember after the meeting, we went to dinner and afterwards, of course, again, salespeople, no one's going to their room. You know, we're in the bar and we were sitting at this. They had a big table there and everybody pulled up. Chairs and were all around it. And I remember I looked around. I'm probably 23. I said, I'm the only black. I'm the only female. I'm the only one under 40 i'm the only one not married i'm the only one with no kids and my next thought was what in the hell am i doing here and i remember thinking if i could snap my finger and flip this around for each and every one of them could they survive this so just just that alone you know the the feelings and emotions they run through you when you were trying to navigate this and they're all good old boys I'm thinking, why am I here? And so it wasn't just that, but when I really got into coaching, I did a career pivot in my second company. Uh, I was had been in the sales organization, not necessarily doing sales, but I was doing some work there. But I knew I wanted to move into HR full time. I had been doing campus recruiting and you know that type of thing for many years, so I count that as my recruiting time. But I wanted to move into HR, and I had been with the company for, I think, about three and a half years at that point when I was actually able to make that transition. And in that first week, I had coworkers starting to come to my office, and they're like, Bernie, I need your help. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And they're like, I'm thinking about looking for another job, and I don't know if this is working, or I've got an interview, I need your help with this. And I mean, they started coming and I'm like, guys, I'm trying to find the coffee pot and the restrooms. Can you give me a minute? And it just it started there and it just continued because they started sending other people. And I remember one day I had someone in my office and we're talking. And when we finished, I opened my office door and there were two people out there waiting on me for the same thing. And I'm like, you know, I do have a job. I'm, I'm being paid to do a job. And it got to the point I was trying to schedule them in between things and call me tonight. Okay, let's talk okay, Saturday at 11. And I did that kind of thing for years and it was family and
0: friends and and it just grew. Wow. So you, you had to start the business and we haven't touched upon the book that you have yet. Ah um i mean you've got yes. a copy here we get to share We get a share we get a show <laughs> and i think that is an important tagline right that your success is in you mm-hmm. a lot of what we talked right. about getting into the you so empowering and equipping equipping you to create your best career ever who mm-hmm. doesn't want that yeah what is the what led you to writing this book you know the funny thing i did this whole
1: process backwards most people write a book and then they start speaking I started speaking on probably my biggest keynote is Your Success is in You and had been doing that and I had started, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, seven other books. And I would get, you know, a couple of chapters in and I'd go, this isn't the one, or at least not now. And I'd stop. That kept happening. And when I was getting a lot of really good feedback on the talk, I said, well, maybe this is the book. And I started with, can you do an outline? Do I have enough to say, to even create any type of book? And I did that. I started working with a company locally that uh, she's her, she and her husband have a business, um, um, Davis Creative, in case you know them, Kathy Davis, mm-hmm. and Jack, they're great, uh, that really kind of shepherd authors through the self-publishing process. And ended up uh, writing the book from there. Uh, and I, I solicited the help of a really good friend of mine. We've been accountability partners over the years. And I talk about accountability a lot and the importance of it. Because when I decided this was going to be the book, I had given myself a really aggressive timeline. And I said, I need your help. And she said, okay, this is great because I'm working on some things, too. We can help each other. We'll meet every week. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> She's like, "Yeah, we'll meet every week." And I'm like, "Every week?" And she said something that really made the difference. She said, "You either want to do this or you don't." I said, "Okay." And so just about every, I think it was Tuesday, we met. And you can imagine on Monday nights, I am just like, <laughs> you know, firing up these keys, trying to get whatever chapter or whatever written. And I because of that, that accountability cuz I couldn't come up with the excuses. Uh, I beat my deadline by three days in getting it done. So, I always tell people accountability is powerful. It is powerful. If you really want to get something done, um, find someone that will hold you accountable and not the one that says, oh, I know, you know, your eyelashes were hurting. It's okay. You don't have to do it. I said, no, you need that drill sergeant almost. I said, they will frustrate you all the way to achievement.
0: But sounds like you, early on, set clear. I go back to the whole clarity. Uh, what part of that was it? Empower, don't micromanage. Uh, With the love. The, right. Ver- oh, the expectations. expectations. Yeah. expectations. You expectation. had clear goals. You shared them. Mm-hmm. And then she could come in and, yeah. Bernie, I know what you want. I know mm-hmm. you're going to be upset if you don't get there. So I'm going to help you stay yeah. on task and get there. But you were clear up Right. Front.
1: And, and that's the importance of the question that I ask everyone is, what do you want? I'm like, the future of whatever it is you're trying to do hinges upon your answer to that question. And until
0: you can clearly answer it, don't make a move. How many people, when you ask that question, can sit there and spout off an answer right then and there?
1: Probably 5%, maybe. Maybe. And I've asked that question for years, clients, and I mean C-suite clients. What do you want? And they're like, I said, I guess that's why you're here, huh? You know, <laughs> we kind of laugh. But I did a talk once. It was a, a women's leadership group in an organi- a company here, and it was director and up. And I, I thought about it. I said, okay, these women have accomplished a lot. I don't want to go in with the what do you want question, but the way I even asked them. I said, you know, you've achieved a lot because there were top executives in there. I said, so the question for you is not what do you want is what do you want next? I said, you're still breathing. You're still here. You're still working. So apparently there's something more. What is it? And at the end, Um, They were broadcasting this to all of their locations and they asked if I would be willing to stay afterwards during the Q&A. And I'm like, oh, of course, because again, I love this stuff. I'm like, this is really the fun now. And one of the executives, she said, you know, she said, I have to be honest. She said, I heard your three points. She said, I'm still stuck on your first one. And I said, you have a lot of company because we're not conditioned in our society. And I'll say this because I'm a girl, especially women, to think about what we want. You know, women receive the highest praise when they're making the sacrifices for everyone else. And so by the time we've, you know, given out the leg to this person and the arm and neck to this person and the torso to that person, then we look around and it's like, what's left for us? And then I come in and I say, so what do you want? And I've had they're, I've had clients who are like, I haven't thought about that question in over 20 years. Or I've never thought about that.
0: It's interesting you say that. By the time this comes out, I'll have been 46 for longer than just a few days. <laughs> but we were at a family dinner and we were kind of trying to all talk about what we love about each other. And I remember, and I, and I thought how it's such a huge compliment and my 14-year-old sees me. But it is exactly what you said. She said, Mom, makes sure she gives to all of us first. Mm. And and I love that, and I love my family, and I'm very blessed. But then also, as we're sitting here, a little bit of pain because it probably, I mean, I'm still not even there. But even within the last few years, started asking for more things that I need and being okay with Mm -hmm. I need, I want. But still lost in that kind of... Hmm. gosh what do I want or who am I who am I Because F- for so long I was told who I should be so I think I bought into that mm-hmm. with that so how do people wh- when when you say what do you want and people look back and you say I have no idea what you're talking about or how to answer that how do you guide people guide them through like, it where do I even start with what do I want I
1: don't know well I tell them don't answer this question with a response to five other questions, because that's usually what I get. Uh, And when I do my talk, I talk about this. And I said, people tell me what they do. I say, so what do you want? Well, you know, I do this and I do that. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Doesn't answer my question, though. They tell me what they do. They tell me what they've done they tell me what they think they can do. And that's usually the most common one. And I tell people all the time, when you tell me what you think you can do, and I ask you the question, what do you want? I say, you've sold yourself short. I said, that's a cop out. Uh, They tell me what other people tell them they should do. And then they tell me what they don't want. Everything but what they want. And I always say, yeah, it's four little words, but it's a Big question. And it can take you years to really answer that because it requires you peeling layers back. You've got to get real with yourself. And I tell clients, listen, you can lie to me all day long because you're paying me. So garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> I say, but don't lie to yourself. Be This is the time to be selfish and self-centered. What do you want? I mean, think about it. Even on the airplane, don't they tell you secure yourself first and then help someone else? If you're a hot mess and you're leaning, (laughs) you know, and you're drooling off out the side and you're just run down, who can you really help? But if you are uh, enthusiastic and energetic and your creative juices are flowing and you are excited
0: Boy, you're in a really good spot to help other people. But we don't do that. I feel was something I shared on social media recently where was, why are we comfortable with others talking? But if we have to sit with ourselves for a moment, Whew. and like you said, peel back the layers, really dive into the soul and the spirit, <laughs> I'll find a distraction. Yeah.
1: You know what I figured out? You said you're you'll be forty six, I've got you by ten years. Wait till you turn fifty. <laughs> but it's interesting because again, like I said, I've used myself as a guinea pig a lot, at least as as the starting point. And I can remember when I was in my teens and in college, I could lay in the bed in the dark for hours and just think, and just ponder and wonder and oh, I can do this and oh, I'll do this. I can't do that now. And about two years ago, I remember asking myself, why do I struggle with this? I used to be able to do this effortlessly. Why is this so hard for me to do now? You know what came to me? Because I've had so many years go by now, if I lay there, I start thinking of all the mistakes. See, when you're young, it's all the possibilities. When you get older, when you've got some mileage on you, you start thinking about, boy, I missed that one. Wow, I messed that up. How did I, oh, I wish I would have done this?
0: And, I say, and it's almost a depressing thing. It's almost like you, at that point, too, you feel stuck. Well, I'm too old now to change yeah. or do anything different. I'm
1: so far into this. How do
0: I get out of it? It would be a failure or a mistake. Yeah, if I failed. I
1: missed it. I've screwed up. Who wants to sit and think about that for two hours? And so, it really takes a rigor and a discipline to be able to do that when you've got some miles behind you, and still be able to focus on possibility. It
0: takes a lot of effort. Well, think about while you had been doing it your entire life, you hadn't maybe weren't always aware of it. You started your business in your forties. Yeah, and you're, and oh, then yeah. you're speaking, and you have a book. And you, so someone today would look at Bernie and say, oh, my gosh, you're so crazy successful and you're so impactful and you're helping so many people. And I would
1: laugh them under the table. (laughs) I would go, if you only knew. And I tried, one of the things that I committed when I started, especially the speaking, was again, because I I, I believe in prayer, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I pray and I said, God, if you want me to say it, I'll say it. I don't care if it's about me. I don't care if it's controversial, if it will help people. I say, if it will help free them, just because they can go, oh my God, I thought it was just me. Isn't think about the major relief we get when we realize it's not just me. I'm not crazy. Or if I am, I'm not the only crazy one. And so I think about things like that and I tell people listen I've done talks uh, there, there's a program here and I do uh, it's a one day class for them every year in the last couple of years I've done two days and I'm sharing a lot of this but I take them through a series of questions especially on that first day and one I remember this one time one of the ladies she's like well Bernie you know this is easy for you you can do this and you're doing this and, and I said "Honey." I said, I was in the corner crying last night. I said, don't put me on that pedestal. I said, I'm human too. I said, it's just that maybe I'm a step or two ahead. Maybe I've learned to rebound a little faster than you. I said, don't, for, don't you ever think that I have arrived. I said, do you realize most coaches have coaches? I said, doctors have doctors. Counselors have counselors. I said, because we can't do it for ourselves. I said, I can sit up here and tell you step by step by step effortlessly, then go home and go, I don't know what to do. How do I? I was like, you have to realize, I said, we're all human. And I said, oh, I've had my moments. I have messed up so many things. I don't even try to count it anymore. It's too frustrating. But. One of the things that my significant other boyfriend, whatever, uh, told me when I first went out on my own, he said, you know, he said, I'm only going to give you one piece of advice. He said, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. He said, the secret is just keep showing up. He said, just keep showing up. And he has had to tell me that multiple times over the years because I hit a wall. I'm done. I can't do this. I'm tired. This isn't working. I'm frustrated. I'm this. He's like, just keep showing up. I'm like, I don't want to show up. He's like, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. And so what I tell people is, yeah, I have the same fears. I deal with insecurities. I deal with discomfort and frustrations. I say, and then I get up. It's that resilience rebound. Yeah, you just... You can't quit. You may pivot. You may take a break. Oh, I've taken many breaks. I'm like, I'm done with this. And I tell people 2023 in a lot of ways has been a break for me because about this time last year, I hit a wall. I had been for probably two years, I just kept saying, I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired. Oh, my God, I'm tired. So I'd bum out on the weekend, I'd do anything Monday, I'm still tired. (laughs) I'm tired. I, October of 2022, did a 10-day trip to Maui. Yeah, it was wonderful. And came back and I was tired. I'm like, how do you go to Maui for 10 days and come back tired when you didn't do anything? And I went, something's off. And I never felt like there was something physically. I never felt that. And by probably early December, what came to me was, your soul is tired. Mm -hmm. Now, I was taught that your soul consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I went, yep, yep, yep. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's it. I said, that's it. That's why physical rest was not resting me. And I made a, a vow. I said, for 2023, I'm letting go. And i said whatever happens happens and my my model was let's see what happens and i did i said God, where this is going to go wherever you take it if you bring it i'll do it i said but i'm not grinding i said i will not grind and i haven't i have not done any grinding this year i refuse to i don't do a lot of you know the the women's group i'm in but in terms of like all oh, the networking that I, I have not, I get this stuff all the time. I'm like, delete, delete. I'm not doing that. Delete. I have shut down a lot of social media. I used to post a lot. so I'm not doing it. And it's funny. I feel like I'm coming back. And so I tell people, everybody has moments. Everybody has seasons. And we put people on pedestals and I'm like, don't put that pressure on them. Because they're human. You know, we hear about it all the time. People in Hollywood, you know, when they, they disappear for three years. Yeah, I had to go to an island around Sri Lanka and meditate for 18 months. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Life can just, everybody goes through life. Life doesn't pass up anyone. We all get tagged. And I always try to share that to let people know whatever success you see, There's more behind the scenes. There's more behind the scenes. And I heard a really successful Christian teacher say this once, and I always thought about it. He said, whatever degree of success you achieve, he said, never be moved by people that say, oh, I want what you have. I want to do what you do. He said, no, they don't. He said, because if they had any idea what you've had to go through to get there, He said 99% of them would run in the other direction, and I'm like, I get it.
0: I get it. I think the part of why we started this podcast was to say the stories are important, the sharing so you can envision, so you can relate or say, oh, I've been through that, or I wait a minute, or oh, that takes a lot of work. Am I ready for that? Am I going to put that in? Or just building a network of people who are out there helping and doing great things. But I think for me in my older age, it's seeing Oh, women did that or women did that way, I can do it that way. Or it's okay to do it my way, mm-hmm. which may be different than the way others did it to be successful. But I need to pour into me, Yeah, learn who I am. And when you emanate from you, it, it'll all that just fills up.
1: Yeah. It comes out in the wash. Yeah. It's like I was saying even before we started um, coming here, I was like, well, maybe I should dress up more. And I went, you know what? You're a jeans girl. Wear your jeans. Do you? And that's one of the things that uh, I told you, wait till you turn 50. I would say it's been magnified more since I've turned 50. I do Bernie. But may, you, you may not like it, you might like it, and I'm okay either way. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I every any negative comment would just roll off like water on a ducks. But no, I'm human, I have feelings, but that doesn't mean I'm going to transform and morph myself like I felt compelled to do so many times in my younger years to make you comfortable with me. But
0: in order to do you, you got to know who you are and what you want.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I think we will always be learning who we are. I don't think it ever stops. I feel like there are some aspects that I go, oh, I got that now. I get that. But I still have some pieces where I'm going, okay, what is this? What's going on with this? Oh, boy, this is another layer I have to figure out. Um, But you do. And I think a lot of times for women, it's something about when we... Get around forty, it starts, and by the time you hit fifty, you and I have friends in their sixties. They're like, "Oh, just wait," (laughs) and I'm like, "Really? Oh, this is so exciting, you know." But it it, it is um, interesting. I even when I'm talking with people, most of my clients, when I look back over twenty six years, most of them have been between thirty eight and forty six. I mean, it, it's human. It, it's not male. I've had male clients, female. I've had white, black, Asian, Indian, Hispanic. lawyers, C-suite. C- I've had them all, thirty-eight to forty-six. Because there's something again about forty. We see it in psychologically is that's halfway. We don't know that. Jimmy Carter's ninety-nine. You know. Rest in heaven, his wife, she was 96, so 40 wasn't anywhere near halfway. But that's something about 40 is when we start to go, okay, I'm halfway done, am I where I want to be? Am I where I thought I would be? Do I want to do this for the next 20 or whatever that might be? And you do, you? I think people at least begin to start to look inside. It it takes a while a lot of times to figure things out, but it's funny how I have a a girlfriend. She's a little under a year older than me, and we laugh about it because we had a friend that was in her 40s, and we would, you know, the three of us are going to get together. I go, yeah, I'm not feeling that. You guys go ahead. Now, the one in her 50s, she's like, okay, that's fine. No problem. We'll see you later. The one in her 40s and no, no, nothing against <laughs> no, women, in 40, she was like, but we made plans. And and the other one, she'd be like, don't worry about it. It's all good. And we laugh about how I'm like, yeah, we could make the plans and still go, eh, I don't feel like doing it. As in nobody's upset. Nobody's offended. It's like, we get it.
0: Do you? Do you? It's funny. uh Place I worked before this, so I was in my 30s, and somebody had said, "Just wait till you get to your 40s. Just wait till you oh, get yeah. to your 40s, because at that point you'll be like F it, I don't care.' <laughs> you do care, yeah. So if Vicky ever listens to this, or I will have to send you the episode, oh. Vicky, that's you. You know who you are. Oh, and you know, it's funny for me. It
1: started at 38. I started. It was like I started feeling some superficiality just falling off. And I remember at 38, I started telling people I was 40. <laughs> you know, they say we put our age. I was putting mine up. I was so excited to turn 40. And even turning 50, it was like, wow, I'm 50 now. But it was probably a year or two into it where I really started feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm no. Mm-mm.
0: Nope. The only time I know people want to age themselves is they're close to twenty-one or in my line of work, they're close to sixty five because they're hoping for Medicare. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) Well, you know, this was this is my philosophy on age. I always figure it's better to put your age up ten years because then people go, Oh my gosh, you look so good for your age. What are you doing? You look fabulous. If you put it back ten years, they may go, Oh, Mm. like, wow, had a tough life. so i figure put it up
0: <laughs> but i think the the last pieces that we have recapped are, are a great place to circle back to things like you know why wait to get help to figure out who you are what you want to do you know and and that may be several times in your lifetime oh yeah and you know having coaches having people who can ask you those difficult questions force you to dive deep to live with yourself, peel mm-hmm. it back, but also hold you accountable. And you know, Bernie's somebody who can be there to help coach you, especially in a career. I mean, think about where do you spend most of your time? Yeah. waking hours. It's working. Yep. Wouldn't you want it to be the best you could possibly be? So whether it's coaching, speaking to different mm-hmm. organizations or companies, you come mm-hmm. in, you've done some training, your book, um, are those all the ways that people can find you and that you can help them? Uh, yes, those are the big ones. You know, they can uh, go to
1: my website to learn more about, you know, just again some of the speaking, uh, even the coaching. Those are, are probably the two biggest. A uh, little bit of training. I'm not necessarily a trainer. I'm certainly not a designer. Uh, I can facilitate training. That that one's a fun one for me. Um, But yeah, just helping them and you hit the nail on the head because that's something that I tell people is that, you know, in a 24 hour period, you're going to, you know, at least Monday through Friday for the, I'll say the quote unquote average worker, you're going to be engaged more in work and work related activity than any other activity you do. That includes spending time with your family and friends combined. Thinking, why would you not invest in making sure that is as meaningful, as satisfying, and as impactful as you want? That's too many life hours to just lull through
0: it. Yeah, it's if you invest many many in your wardrobe, your hair, uh, a gym, great. Those yeah. are all good. Yeah. But why not invest in the mind and the heart and the soul
1: right and doing the work that you really want because at the end of the day you're going to deal with challenges no matter what path career path you take whether you stay on the one that you're on or if you pursue that thing that's really burning inside of you you're going to deal with idiots crazy hours unfairness and all the other you know injustices inconsistencies and all the you know challenges of it why not at least work to get on a path that at the end of all of that you get what you want versus waking up one day realizing you spent 15 25 30 40 years in a spot that at the end of it you're still not happy that just seems crazy to me and I'm like, aren't you worth the investment?
0: Wow. I can't say anything else. That's a great way to end it. Aren't you worth the investment? I was going to say, what am I going to say at the end to, <laughs> to recap this? Take the person inside. Ask a lot of questions. Um, but no, aren't you worth it? Yeah. Aren't you worth it? I knew when we met, uh, you were a great energy, plus the the content i knew was going to be so great it was powerful for me and i thought oh she has to join me and so i'm so excited you did especially so early on now we can get this out there in a couple months and everybody can see this hear this and learn from you and we could go on for another two hours with all you have but since we can't people can have you speak have you as their coach and learn more from you that way
1: absolutely yes yes i have enjoyed this like i said i was looking forward to it Uh, As you can probably tell, this is a passion for me uh, because I just see so many and I've seen so many people what I call bored, burned out or frustrated and I always think, you don't have to be. You don't have to be.
0: You don't have to be and aren't you worth it. Aren't you worth it. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project Podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit SheLiftProject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.